All right. Hi, everyone. It is another episode of your favorite podcast. Let's be very honest. Whoa. We are the one that keeps you going. Uh, we're, we're, we're the one that provides the, the tingling. Um, welcome back <laughs> to Catching Foxes. The Peter Tingle. Um, <laughs> that's from Spider-Man. Uh, Sorry, that sounded inappropriate. Go on. <laughs> so we were having, we, we've been chatting for about 20, about 25 minutes about everything that's been going on in our um country this past week. Everything that I wanted to talk with Gilmer about, but not on the podcast because you guys have heard enough of everyone's um thoughts on it. And we're probably are not going to provide it. anything new. So why, why, why do it? But I do want to add one, um, one thing. Um, a thing that we were just I'm um, talking about on our own private um, conversation. It reminded me of the fact that uh, we desperately need to remember the human. Yes, we need justice. Yes, we need charity. Yes, um, yes, we need peace. But I think to get it without with while dehumanizing the other uh, is um, really really dangerous. And uh, I think that it is only through relationships that as we fight for justice and as we fight for, like, uh, you know, I'm not trying to say that we don't, that those things um, uh, should not happen. But if they happen at the expense of relationships or at the expense of, of um, a human fraternity, uh, I, I think it's a hollow victory. Mm. Mm. Either way, this goes either way. This, this, this goes like right, left, in the middle, like you know, whatever. I, I just think, um, you know, if we're going to spend the next four years, and if you're conservative, you're going to scream about him, scream about Joe Biden, how he's Satan incarnate. Um, I just think there are better things to do with your time. You're probably ignoring your family, and your kids are going to hate you. <laughs> So, so where do we go from here, Luke? <laughs> every time, every time I encounter this stuff, I'm like, so where do we go from here? How do, how do we heal? What do we look like? Where, where, where is the next step? Like, how do I get, like, how do I get to resolve this constant tension that I feel like we've only just begun? Right. Well, that is the feeling that I have right now. I don't want a race war. I voted for Trump and I didn't like it. I don't want a race war. I don't want to hunt anyone. I don't want I am not happy that people feel marginalized. Honest, you probably would be hunted. What's that? You would probably be the one being hunted. I know, but like, you know, there's a narrative out there that a certain kind of person is trying to hunt and hang other people. And I'm not that guy. All I want, all I want is to be able to raise my family the way I best think I should raise my family, right? And I'm looking around at the world, and I'm like, oh, there is no peace out here. There is no peace out here. We are making so much scientific progress, and it's like we're using every tool we invent to hurt each other. And I mean Twitter, I mean Facebook. Like these are these could have been monumental human achievements to further expand man's dominion over nature in a healthy and beautiful way. This could have brought people together. Instead, it brings certain people together in little groups and then they build and build and build and they denounce and denounce and denounce. You know, I, I was listening to this guy the other day and he was saying, Do you know why it's so easy to hate our enemy? He said, if you think about it for millions of years, you know, human beings in this evolutionary psychologist, and he was talking about like the, like the monkey in the tree that was our ancestor, all they knew was the monkeys in the tree and everything kind of outside the tree or then eventually outside the pit of fire that the firelight can, can give everything was a threat in that world. 
whether you're talking about a jungle cat or a snake or an eagle or another monkey or, you know, whatever. And he said, it is so ingrained in our DNA to view those who come at us, even with arguments that are hostile to us, as the enemy, as, as like the um, psychologically as if they are a predator, right? And the thing that can overcome that is, well, one, like you look at someone like St. Thomas Aquinas, grace, right? You look at someone like St. Thomas Aquinas who built a method which said you're not allowed – like literally in the medieval universities, you weren't allowed to reply to your opponent until you in your own words summarize their arguments back to them in a in a, in a strong a way as possible. And I find that when I get the most emotional is when I'm doing the I, – I don't even know – what right? Don't we – me and you say that like when we talk about oh, – I don't even know what the hell they were thinking, right? And it's like, oh, well, then you don't understand the problem. And I'm like, shut up. I want to punch someone. Oh, but you don't understand the problem. And I'm like, no, no. And then we give an easy explanation, right? Then we all become armchair psychologists and we're like, oh, the reason why this person says that is X, Y, or Z. But we don't really take the time to understand. So I say all this because I think – the tools that we built that could have shrunk the world into uh, the tree or the fire or the tribe uh, ended up just amplifying the distance between the trees, the fires, the tribes. And that makes me sad because I don't know where to go from here. And I feel like the easy answer is retreat into my tribe. But I belong to a religion which says at the heart of being a disciple is to go out and make disciples. At the heart of being a follower, a lover of Christ, is I have to love the brother that I do see. For how can I say I love God and hate the brother that I see when I, I, I don't even see the God that I claim to love? And so it's these, like, inherent tensions in Christianity that's like, all right, man, I really do feel like this is the last thing. Like, all my threads have unraveled. Well, you know, so I have a couple thoughts on this. One is that. Of course you do. There are <laughs> actually so um, three things that I have been kind of wrestling with recently. One is um, peace and justice. We all know that quote, if you want peace, work for justice. I've thought a lot about that in with all the stuff going on about yeah. how the, all the injustice that we have in our country from from all the systematic racism to abortion to um, – all this stuff like you know have we really have we there have we where's the justice for all you know 400 years of slavery um 40 years uh yeah 400 years how long was it yeah it was for no was it was yeah no no well that's when the dutch india company and all that stuff so yeah 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 yeah. i'm sorry i was thinking like here in the country i'm like well no but yeah sorry i guess i got (laughs) it civil war spot in 1850 then you got the 1617 project and (laughs) And i'm like yeah so so anyways uh yeah oh gosh that's that's um my point being like if there's i don't know what justice um, looks like for that in the 21st um century i don't i i I think we need to talk about it, uh, but I don't know what it, I don't know what it looks like, and I, I don't know what um, uh, um, justice um, looks like for the unborn. I mean, I do know it, it should be it should become it should be outlawed. Like I, I, like these are all we have these crazy injustices that are you know going on where we are just so dehumanized so much of existence. Like uh, 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 um, Catholics for Choice had this tweet. I don't even know why I bring this up, but it was so sick. Where they were like making fun of people who thought that, like, of 
pro-life Catholics with that one meme where there's like a SpongeBob thing and it's acting all weird. I don't know, but it's yeah. And I'm like, why are you making fun of people who like? Why are you Catholic and making fun of people who thinks that human beings shouldn't be killed? Why are you doing this? Why? 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 Why are you doing this? And I think about all of that, and then I then I, I'm gonna think about the uh, first two chapters of of um, Truth and Charity that I, I have read by Pope Benedict. And how he talks about, like, if you want to have um, charity without truth, you just have um, sentimentality. And then I have also started to think a little bit about this thing I saw from St. Thomas, from St. From Saint, um, Thomas Aquinas. So you're welcome. Go on. That um, Matt Fratt had put out where it says that, like, if you look at the, if you look at, um, the three cardinal virtues, I believe they are hope, uh, faith, hope, and charity, right? Yeah. No, the cardinal... Yes. Theological yeah, virtues are faith like, and charity. Yes, Cardinal okay, are. Yes, okay. Thank you. Um, uh, I don't need an explanation. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to listen. I know people know what that's from. <laughs> I know. <laughs> um, is that the greatest of them all is actually charity. And I. I think we've lost a little bit of that. And how can we, but like, if we want to have, um, if we want peace and if we really um, have justice, if, we, if, but if we do it with, you know, out charity, it, it's pointless. And if, and it becomes just this um, sentimentality thing of like, well, we mean, well, isn't it great that we all, that we all changed our minds on this stuff? Like now we do think that there's this stuff. And I'm like, well, not really. Like, right. If people like all of a sudden, be, you know, if we do, you know, outlaw like outlaw abortion, but then the whole culture is just like, if if nothing changes, we've just we've just really I'm gonna change the law. Yes, it's good. It's but like that's not the whole fight by any means necessary. It's a it's a it's an important part, but it's a part. I think you're right. Like if if we get so attached to um, winning, we're trying to define all this in a in you know post. Like we're we're trying to seek um, a Christian victory through post Christian means, and it's impossible. It's absolutely impossible to do that. And every single one of you, myself, my myself included, who tweets about all this stuff, we're all guilty of it. Everyone who's pro Trump, all the all the anti Trump, um, all the anti um, Trump people, we're all guilty of it. So you're saying the only ones who aren't guilty of it are those who left social media smiling, waving at you guys. No, 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 no. no I'm no. kidding. I'm kidding. No, 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 no. no. It's your fault, too. You voted for Trump. You should feel horrible. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, the first, thing just that, kidding. the first thing that was fascinating with you that you said to me was the thing – one of the things that pisses me off the most in, – and this was when the stuff in D.C. had just started. You said is – People are going to say this is all Trump supporters, and I know it's not. And that's and you said that, and I was like, wow, that that's really fascinating because the knee jerk is, look what you just did, look what your guy just did, look what you know. I told you the unstatesmanly like conduct, all this stuff. This is where it got us, and um, you know, and obviously that's not the narrative. You know, we've gotten texts uh, and comments that uh, are, we're very much in the opposite vein of the knee jerk kind of thing, and so. I, I do find it – one of the things that I found interesting is after I listened to your 30-minute your thing and then the 9-minute the kind of what I tried to preserve of that, one of the things that stood out to me was the preservation of sacred objects 
and the defamation of those sacred objects and what that means. So like Capitol Hill and, you know, you were talking about Jefferson helping to design it and the fact that they stole a podium with a seal on it. Like they didn't just steal a podium. They stole the podium with the seal on the front. You know what I mean? Like there yeah. are there are the elements angry the thing that i mean okay yeah let's besides the loss of innocent life besides besides all of that the thing that struck me the most and bothered me the most in the moment was seeing the confederate flag in the capitol i i i just i wanted i could have beaten the shit out of that person with my bare hands like i was so infuriated by that image that it just ugh. Is there something interfering with your happiness or is it preventing you from achieving your goals? Healing is something that the Lord wants us to receive, but healing is always an invitation from God. Quite often he asks people to, to you know, take a step out. We have to take action. And a great way to do that is through a group called BetterHelp. BetterHelp can assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. And you can start communicating in under 48 hours. This is not a crisis line. It is not self-help. It is professional counseling done securely online. The service is available for clients worldwide. You can log into your account anytime, and I'm going to send a message to your counselor. You'll get timely and I'm a thoughtful responses. Plus, you can schedule a weekly video or phone obsession so you won't ever have to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room. Those are weird, as with traditional therapy. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches so that they make it easy and free to change counselors if you feel like you need to. It's more affordable than traditional offline counseling, and financial aid is indeed available. BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, wants you to start living a happier life today. You can go to BetterHelp.com slash reviews and read some of the testimonials that are posted daily. So this is what we're going to do. We have a special offer for podcast listeners. You get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, BetterHelp.com slash foxes. You go to slash foxes and you will get 10% off your first month. In fact, so many people have been using BetterHelp that they are recruiting additional counselors in all 50 states. Join over 1 million people taking charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional counselor. BetterHelp.com slash foxes. Thank you to BetterHelp for sponsoring this episode of Catching Foxes. So, but think of the symbolism behind that and what that meant for that person to do that. Yeah. It was the world's biggest FU that one individual carried in group think with the crowd and all the things. It was the biggest symbolic statement that person could make right and um i don't know and i i've been thinking an insane amount of of this notion of what symbols and all that stuff that me and you briefly talked on it um and i keep i like keep coming back to this like the executive branch is not supposed to be a reflection of the people the representatives are Right. The the whole ratio mm-hmm. of representatives mm-hmm. to populace mm-hmm. and all that stuff. The senators originally, and I, I desperately wish it were so, were supposed to be through the appointment by the state, not popular election. Um, I am anti-popular election of senators. However, they these all people, because of the popular election and direct election, non-electoral college, they're supposed to represent the will of the people. And more often than not, in Clinton's era, Bush's era... Uh, Reagan's era, you find over and over again, one of the sustained critiques that I find by the, by the libertarian left and right, 
and people of libertarianism are all over the place, but the libertarian left and the commonly libertarian right, one of the areas of huge overlap that they have is how the U.S. Constitution puts the majority of power in the hands of the people who are the closest to the people. And for like the last like two or three generations of Americans, we constantly push – our representatives push that back on to the president, right? And they give him broad powers and through precedent and all this stuff that they themselves were supposed to take ownership of. And then you find you know, when you get these freshman senators or freshman congressmen and they'll say things like – yeah, I've been I've I've had seven sessions and literally we've made one vote and it was to make Thursday National Boy Scout Day. Like this is all we're doing. This is crap. Right? And I have meetings where in our meetings our whole thing for freshman senators, how can we screw over the other party? Here's our strategy this year. And it's like, I thought I was supposed to be doing stuff for the people. And it's like, nope. And so there's this element where how fascinating that, you know, they stormed the Capitol. They didn't storm you know, the the Supreme Court, which now is has several Trump appointees, probably why they didn't do that. But they didn't – the thing that they burned down were supposed to be the people that were closest to them. And I think that is, is shocking in and of itself. I don't have a lot to yeah. say on this other than, you know, waxing philosophically because I have purposely – I've dipped into the news here and there and then I've stayed out. Yeah, it's, it's just um, – it's a sad time. And it's, 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 it's hard it to not just talk about it all the time. Yeah, it, it's easy for me <laughs> because, I, because I purposely don't. I purposely don't. I purposely don't uh, learn about it. I, I dip in. I just, okay, we got an impeachment trial. Doesn't seem to be any hearings going on. That's interesting. Don't you think this is one of those things where you need to kind of know as much as you can? I'm not saying, I, I, I mean, within reason. I'll, I'll tell you why. Uh, yes and no. I need to know what's going not, on. Not, not the impeachment would happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I need to know what's going on. But this is my my thing with all of it. The news media, especially CNN, is built around uh, breaking news, which is almost no information that's useful. And I, so I watched the live video. I saw a bunch of stuff. I hopped on YouTube, and here's the video. CNN has it. Fox News has it. Uh, you know, and I'll watch what I can see, what my own eyes can take in, and all this stuff. But it's not until days or weeks go by that will actually have anything, any analysis and investigation that's kind of worth having. And yeah, I yeah. know me, I know me. If I get into the hot takes, that's fair. I don't go to bed that night. I don't sleep that night. And in between taking cold showers and not eating pizza and not drinking alcohol, little Gomer can't do that, right? I can't. Little Gomer, can't. <laughs> little Gomer's scared of a world that's actually existing. And then the last thing. So I know me. I know I like. I need to know something. I don't need to know everything because most of the stuff that's out there is still the confusion, right? The data points coming in, the interpretations and narratives, the cover-ups, yeah. the this, the that, the, well, it was actually these people who did it disguises those people. It was the professionals. It was the psychotics. Whatever, okay? I know that more truth will out in the end. I just need to have a timeline that's better than what I've done. So so right now it's been a week and a day. Um, I think we're going to start knowing more. But it, I, I, hopefully the competition between the different, different news outlets will stop with the hive mind crap and actually produce competitive journalism to see like, like – in, I want to know the individual stories of people who went there. Right, that's the part where it's like I need to hear. I, that's what I want to hear. What led to this person doing this? What did they tell their friends they were going to do when they went to D.C. that day? 
Um, the, and those are some of the aspects of it that um, I feel like is very easy getting lost. And I get really emotional about this stuff, not because I care about the parties, right? But because, like, I see the decay of the American project, right? And you see the decay. This is must have been what people felt like on campuses and during Nixon, right? Like, four dead mm-hmm. in Ohio. And people immediately made radical assumptions one way or the other, and the truth was probably somewhere in the middle, but certainly wasn't what was being leaked out at the time, and sides were taken, and, you know, and it ramps up, yeah. and I, so that's why, that's why. No, I, I think you bring up a really good point. I, I think, we, we've talked about this book a lot, but I really encourage you guys, if you haven't, read um, Amusing Ourselves to Death. Is it yeah. amusing or is it entertaining ourselves to death? Amusing. Amusing ourselves to yeah. death. I, I, it does get to this thing of um, how we have just we just want to be entertained by everything now, by politics, religion, yeah, um, news. I forget the the, the fourth one, but uh, it and you, you you bring up a really good point about how like you need a little bit of time to understand fully what happened. And I mean, it's it's you're right. It's obvious. Five people are dead. The Capitol was stormed. Like there was a Insurrection. I don't know how, how. I don't know what else to call it, but that. I mean, they. There were things in there to like. You know, they had. Uh, th- there was like they had these images of zip ties that are used to handcuff people. That they they brought that in there with them. Ugh. I mean, you could see it. It's horrific. But I I want more than just the image of it. I want to know. Okay, who was this guy? Why did he do this? Like, what do we know about it? And that takes. And the crappy part about it is it takes time. Yeah. It takes time to put it in a way where, okay, here are our sources. Here's what we know. Here's all the, you know, and it's, um, that's, it's like, how have, how have our tools changed us? This is one of those moments we need to think about that. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I know, like, we need to think about how, like, do I need to know all this right now? Or is it going to be better if we wait and understand? Like, there, yes, there are things that we know um, right now and, the, and that we can be horrified and we can be horrified about and, you know, feel feel like I'm a righteous anger about right now. I'm not saying that there isn't. But for the full, the full um, picture, and I don't mean, like, it was a good thing or, like, this, you know, I I, I just mean to really, truly have a deep understanding of it that's going to take some time and that kind of sucks yeah yeah the for trying to to want that yeah on neil postman's um thing it was politics religion education and the news that's right that's right those those so basically what he's saying is in the age of television it create because this book was written you know 40 years ago whatever but in the age of television it creates a visual image driven uh thing right uh medium and what ends up happening and that's why he latched on to what's his name <laughs> gosh rebecca is gonna kill me uh what's his name's the medium is the message phrase and he's like yeah so here's this thing called television and there's this thing called show business and and the news politics uh religion education all have to be entertaining and so you go from the four-hour lincoln douglas debate or the eight-hour lincoln douglas debate to um, uh, Mitt Romney, you have one minute. Uh, Barack Obama, you have thirty seconds to respond. You know, and so you're just what throwing about your binders. That's weird. <laughs> but like, right? Like you're just throwing out bite-sized points. And and we did. You know, I went through the whole Postman. Uh, you know, the major works of Postman um, when my wife and kids were were in St. Louis in June, July. So if you're looking for those episodes, it's somewhere around there. But um, 
that that deeply affected me. Like I wasn't just stepping back from social media because I became the asshole of the hot take. I stepped back from like that was my first thing, but the rest of it was like our whole news media is built this way. I'd rather like like when you talk about Luke the biographies that you're writing uh, reading. I think that is a much more accurate way of understanding a person's life, right? You read a 400-page, 800-page, 1,200-page biography, that will actually immerse you, I think, in a better way in the politics of the time, the decisions of the time, all this stuff, because it puts it within the context of the narrative of this person's life who's making these decisions and interacting with these people. But what we, we don't get any of that. We, we get, like, the war on terror. And this is stuff that people on the left and right both make fun of. I mean, no one harpooned the news as show business more than um, Jon Stewart, right? Like, he lampooned them to hell and back again. But Well, I'd say Colbert. Just, I'm going yeah. like, to argue semantics. I think Colbert did a better job of lampooning how he delivered the news. Yeah, fair enough. But I well, then let me say a sustained critique through comedy by Jon Stewart and then – There you go. There we there go. go. And then but the it, lampooning it was Colbert. On, on the news. It was – yeah. Yeah. And I mean I, I mean one of the most famous things, Jon Stewart went to CNN's Crossfire and he like ripped them both to shreds, the liberal and the conservative. Yeah. What he say goes, I'm followed by a puppet or something like that when they were like, yeah. Yeah. He's like, oh, well, you're, you're, you do – Blah, blah, blah. And he goes, that's because I'm not a news network. I'm followed by puppets making prank phone calls. But I yeah. think that was really important because the age of show business is a medium of visuals that has co-opted our news media. And when you show – and here's the problem is the, the part of the lie of the TV news that a TV news anchor, TV news anchor with Neil Postman wrote a follow-up book, How to Watch TV – or How to Watch the News. He said – you think the video is infallible because it's just recording what's there. But what you don't realize is there could have been 20 different videos that someone would could have, you know, a news media person or a news outlet could have chosen from. But they chose the one and the time period that fit their narrative. Right? And I can't tell you how many times. I mean, we were, we were sued and a news thing went out. Uh, and this woman made her accusations completely destroyed another man's life. Like completely. And the, but it was right at the time of me, of both Me Too and all the sex abuse scandals with the grand jury report. So our local news media, I mean, like everything someone said was just sucked up into a vacuum, spun around, and then it was like, oh, this eight second thing from a forty five minute interview is the most sensational. This is the most entertaining. We'll put this, and I, that's what I realized I was consuming almost all the time. Not analysis. Not even like, hey, this is what we're trying to do to make sense of stuff, but literally just entertainment. It's okay. So I had a really good chat with um, Brad Burser the other day. So I have tons of content f for the podcast that he's never going to hear. <laughs> and I'll steal from our conversation noise. Um, but uh, one thing that he brought up was we, we were kind of we were kind of talking about this, you know, like the um, uh, Heidegger kind of um, view. Um, of being and how being can't really be understood or, you know, or whatever. And this other kind of view of being and, like, uh, has to fit into this rational explanation of what being is. And, was, and he was saying, like, there might – and I was like, so how do you do ministry if you're trying to avoid those two things? And he brought up this great point of, like, we have to be relational. It's it's through relationship that being is actually – it's actually revealed to me by Christ and brings me – to the Father, and then continues to reveal 
both him and myself to like to me and to others. And that's how we share, like how we, we share Christ th- always, always through relationships. And I think when y- you look at a culture that's so obsessed with information, like let's take away the entertainment part. Let's just look at the information part of just being engaged, downloading stuff into, into our brains. The only thing that can really cut into that is relationship. Yeah. Yeah, and I just want to point out something that I found so hilarious. Quote, it is unlikely that Trump has ever read Amusing Ourselves to Death, but his assent would not have surprised Postman. That Trump, literally all it's, all it's <laughs> addressed to or uh, attributed to is CNN. And it's like, <laughs> who wrote that? Why is this on the official Amusing Ourselves to Death public discourse of the age of show business uh, thing account? Like it's in it's before they even tell you what the book is about. And it has this sick quote, right? Yeah. And I'm like, good Lord, you are like all of the news media is the very epitome. And I'm saying every news channel is the epitome of turning honest news and journalism into show business. I just, oh man, that is that is Orwellian. I'm done. See, this is where I lose all hope. <laughs> I lose all hope. Give me Jesus, well, three acres and a cow, and I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just be honest. If we, the cow would die. The cow would die so starve. quickly. <laughs> oh, like, God. cow, I had such good intentions of taking care of you. <laughs> <laughs> Such I had a plan. I listened to thirty podcasts and subscribed. Subscribed. Who knows how many um, videos I watched? Seven YouTube channels on how to take care of you, and yet you're dead. <laughs> I never should have followed that one YouTuber who started off. Now I've been farming for three generations in my family, and I'm like, well, I could do it. <laughs> ah, that's right. That Me and my dad are afraid of the outside. We've got this. <laughs> but he gave four points and make a lot of sense. So <laughs> he gave a listicle in his YouTube video. Oh, uh, Luke, I can't. I just can't. I'm so sad. Tell me something happy. Tell me one happy thing. I don't know. Oh, hey. Okay. So what? we should have the conversation about symbols. But I want to tell you one quick thing. Guess what I'm doing tomorrow night? Okay, tomorrow night is Saturday, Friday night. You are you are a young man. You have a lady friend. You have a child. You are staying at home and watching Golden Girls reruns. Oh man, should I be so lucky? <laughs> uh, well, one, it's the 20th anniversary of Drawing Black Lines, so I'm going to be watching a live concert of Project 86 playing Drawing Black Lines front to back. Very excited about that. Ooh, will they do the song One Time Seven and Spew Hate on the Catholic Church? No, no, he doesn't do that song anymore, but they will do my favorite song by them, Chapter Two. Can't wait to see that. Nice. That's what I'm most excited about. I just about. picked up that album the other day, When I Was Lifting the Weights. <laughs> Look at, isn't it such a great album? Oh, it it is it is. If you need some someone screaming in your ear with Jesus intensity of flipping tables in 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 temples, that's it. That's your man. If and, you ever wanted to hear a good rap core song about the uh, theme of resurrection, have I got a song for you? <laughs> Me and Luke rapped it, and it was the worst I'm, thing I've ever done in my life. No, no, no. We did Six Sirens. Oh yeah, which is from the first album. Yeah. Insert Six Sirens clip here. Ashes. 
the band I sang for opened up with Ump Chapter 2. Insert Chapter 2 sound clip here. Favorites, one of my favorite songs of all time. So they're doing a live show, and you're going to watch it. Yes, and I told Aaron, listen, this has to happen. I'm sorry. I saw it. I bought a ticket immediately. I didn't even think twice about it because I love this album so, so. I would have, if they had done a live concert within a three-hour radius for this, I would have driven to see this whole album play. It is one of my favorite albums. I think it might be in my top three. Okay. Which is saying, like, as, as in, like, I, I don't see how I could rank it in terms of my favorite albums any lower th- than number three. It influenced, like, this album influenced how I dress, the kind of music I was into for years. Like, I mean, the whole thing was just, like, the whole package. The music you listen to between 16 and 21 is the music that stays with you for the rest of your life. Yeah, I have to listen to it every couple, every, uh, every um, couple of months. I have to listen to, like, like a um, song or two off it because it's just, like, it's home. There it is. It's home. There it is. Uh, and, and WandaVision. I haven't seen anything other than the first trailer that came out for it. When is that coming out? Uh, tomorrow. Wait, what? Yeah, just just the first episode. <laughs> yeah. Oh, finally a reason to deal with Disney again. <laughs> Get through, look. We're going to take a brief pause from our WandaVision conversation. Super exciting. In order to get you to connect with thousands of others at Seek 21. This is a one-of-a-kind event where thousands gather as small groups to ask the big questions about joy, peace, hope, and salvation. Seek 21 will be more than just a virtual event, but an immersion experience where all aspects of Seek will come to life through your small groups. This great event kicks off on February 4th to February 7th. Set aside the distractions and pursue holiness. This is a new moment for the church. So head over to seek.focus.org and register today. Thank you, Seek 21, for sponsoring this episode. Um, now, that's something that I'm a little nervous about. Should I watch it before my kids? Oh, um. Like, is it going to be weird crap? I mean, I know it's going to be weird because I guess, you know, it's all sorts of different stuff. But I haven't paid. I mean, I've paid. I, I've watched the majority of the trailers, but I haven't really read a lot about it. So I don't. I would probably. There's still what? Like, the oldest is 10? Yeah. Yeah, I would watch it just just to be sure. They all watch The Mandalorian. Okay, and then <laughs> <laughs> all of that's us. Like, the guy takes a stick and beats people in the head to death. Yeah, that's my kid's favorite part. They're like, "Oh, daddy, can you rewind that real quick?" I love to see when the light dies in their eyes, and I'm like, "Um, okay." <laughs> what? Yeah, you heard me. When the light dies from their eyes, as the life is being sucked out, and they're dying. It's awesome. It's awesome. <laughs> Kateri did not see this coming. <laughs> Dad, I've become a I think my favorite almost a circular is the BTK killer. Who's yours? What? <laughs> Whoa, what? What what was um what? Dad, you may not know this, but I got real into Mindhunter. <laughs> <laughs> it kills me there's not gonna be a season three of that show. I love that show. What is that? Dad, why couldn't you be more like, oh, what's that? Sh- Damn it. This was going to be a funny joke and my timing's off. More like <laughs> Dexter. Damn it, Dexter. <laughs> Dad, don't you wish our family was more like Dexter? Sometimes I wish I woke up as a little kid just covered in blood. <laughs> Dad, where do you what? where do you put your um, <laughs> slides of blood drops? Hmm? Is yours behind the air? 
conditioner thing? Mm-hmm. It is. You've heard about they're going to do another season of um, Dexter, right? Have we uh, talked about this? No, I don't care about it. I've never seen Dexter. Uh, go f- yourself. Dexter <laughs> is wonderful. I didn't say it there because I'm trying to be clean. Dexter, the first – Dexter is actually – I mean, I've tried to watch it with, with – with, um, with Aaron, and within five minutes, she was like, I don't think so. And I was like, yeah, it's fair. There's a lot of cursing here. A lot. Mm. <laughs> They're very dirty. Um, no, but anyways. Uh, so yeah, no. I So it's kind of funny. I let's, Let me just get this. Let me yeah. get the stupid pop culture out of the way. And then we'll get to the other, the other crap. Um, <laughs> I'm not excited for any of the Marvel movies besides Doctor Strange and and on Thor as in like, I'm probably won't go see Captain Marvel unless it's really, really good. The legend of the 10 fist or whatever. I'm not going to go see that. Let's say here. It's really, really good. Um, I just don't, I don't care. And I don't have, I don't have time, um, but I will make time for uh, Thor love and thunder. Uh, <laughs> but I'm excited about, uh, I'm excited about two of the three um, shows coming out on, on Disney plus. So uh, I'm hoping th- – and I'm, I'm going to watch all three. So Okay. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. Oh, I also lost – a I um, lost a, a whole bunch of money in a sports bet that I made, but that's okay. Wait, what? Why are you betting money? What? What? I bet $38 that Ohio State was going to beat Alabama. I could have won um, – I could have won um, $95. Oh, he said a whole bunch of money. I'm thinking hundreds. No, 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 no. I don't. I don't. I'm not that brave. <laughs> Nevertheless, you persisted. <laughs> yeah. All right. So, hey, symbolism. <laughs> What's the symbolism behind that? Gosh, it's symbolism. A, I don't even know how to do a segue into this. It's, Can you please put that quote in there? As oh, opposed to me saying yes, that, you mean please. symbology? <laughs> no, not symbology. <laughs> symbolism. 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 Gosh, you're gonna make me do so much work. What's the symbology there? Symbology. Now that Duffy has relinquished his king bonehead crown, I see we have an heir to the throne. I'm sure the word you were looking for was symbolism. What is the symbolism there? I might be wanting a bagel with my coffee. <laughs> One of my favorite lines in all the cinema is when he says that. Yeah, it is. It is awesome. And there was a firefight. It's just waving his arms in the air like he's conducting a symphony, yeah. smoking a cigarette with like a sweaty face and half of his shirt out. <laughs> I love, I mean, that's such a horrible homophobic movie, but at times it's really, really good. <laughs> He's conflicted. <laughs> well, okay, uh, Luke, let me tell you how this began. And then you tell me, you know, how to hop, hop in and, and how I, okay. I'm, I'm such can a Can you mess. keep this part to th- three minutes? I, I can do it in 30 seconds. I that's what she do. Said. <laughs> no, that's that's yeah, that's that's, what, that's her accusation. No, <laughs> I do. I do detest uh, tons of sacramental <laughs> prep. You're familiar with the conveyor belt. The conveyor belt is my kids in second. My kids a baby. They get baptized in second grade. They get first holy communion and confession. And then when they're uh, sophomores, they get uh, confirmed. And it's just what they're gonna do. And you begin to see. Over and over and over and over again, the outcomes of people who have not faith 
but they still want the, and demand, like consumers, the sacraments. And it is destroying my faith to give them the sacraments, right? And then you find this now as an adult. So that's what led me down this path. So now as an adult, I work with sacraments of marriage to help people have good Catholic marriages. But you find in this area, you have this almost the same thing as you do with confirmation, confession, communion, and uh, baptism. It's, it's a demand. All right, listen, my parents are really religious. They want me to get married in the Catholic Church. I don't get anything about it. I don't got any problems with it, but, you know, whatever. Here I am. So there is a problem right now in the church with baptized heathens. They are baptized. They have the sacraments, but they have zero living faith or next to zero living faith, right? They don't go to church. They don't pray. They don't even have God in their lives. What should I do? Fix it, Luke. What should I do? Well, you have to start at square at square one. What does it have to do with symbols? Symbolism there. What I'm finding across the board, from faithful Catholics to non-faithful Catholics, is an inability to understand where the hell the sacraments fit in to Christian life. I don't know if you feel this way or have felt this way, but it almost maybe this might be an American thing or whatever, but it almost feels like there's this thing called the Bible and Jesus and my personal faith in Jesus that is Christianity. And then added on to that is the sacraments and the liturgies of the Catholic Church. Do you ever feel that way? Yep. Yes. Right. Yes. So I have Absolutely. this I have the me and Jesus Absolutely. thing. Or there were things at times that could have that could have meaning at times they did not and yeah. it's just you don't really know why. You know. I mean you would like you you know, you you might have an intense experience of them at at a um, conference or something and other real um, select times, but they were never this, you know, it never really feels crucial. And yeah, so, yeah. I'm, I'm not saying that at, at times it, it can feel that yeah. way. And then when you begin to look at the Bible and scripture and, and, and you're going through it and you're, you're, especially when you're really fervent, you end up having an encounter of sacred scripture that is very vital. You know what I mean? Like you're reading a verse and you're like, oh, my gosh, that's me. Or you're wanting to grow in your spiritual life. You're reading the Gospels. Oh, my goodness, that's what I needed to hear from, you know, a healing story or whatever it might be, right? And then you you go to Mass and it's celebrated by people who don't really care and not a lot of efforts put into it. And there's all these exceptions and different things. And then you receive the Eucharist and nothing really changes. And you kind of think about it. You kind of don't. Whatever. And so I was getting really frustrated with the fact that here I am, the evangelist guy. That's what I'm known as. I love faith formation. I love moral theology. I love the living of the Catholic faith. And I purposely, when I went to Franciscan, I did not study liturgy because I knew I would just become a liturgical Nazi. It wouldn't be life-giving to me. It would be like, oh, well, that guy's not doing that right, and that guy's not doing that right, right? And Mm -hmm. so I didn't take it. I I was legit afraid of who I would become because I read a book on it and I became a jerk. So, uh, right? Like, it's the equivalent in the 90s of watching a YouTube video. I read a book and became a jerk. But. It's true, everyone. Yeah. But over and over, I have shifted in my evangelical zeal to see how you can never separate the evangelizing mission of the church from the sacramental life of the church. Jesus said, go, therefore, and make disciples of all Mm. nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Go go make disciples, baptize them, right, and teach them, 
Right. And then I will be with you always. Yes. Even to the end of the age, end of the age. Now, why does that matter? It matters because the sacraments, there's two ways of almost looking at the Bible or what Christ reveals. One is the individual, the radical individualist way that I don't think you and I can even escape from, which is the inheritance of the enlightenment and the inheritance of nominalism in the middle ages. And it's a current scientific way of thinking, which just essentially says the only knowledge worth having is more or less a scientific or technological knowledge, right? It's, it dominates all fields, all kinds of things, right? It's, mm -hmm. it's kind of the center there, but you know, in certain ways there are celebrities, but then when you turn to something like the sacraments, which we would call symbolic knowledge, the sacraments are just viewed as like, wait, what? Oh, okay. So what, what the symbolic representation embodies in the sacraments is either A, and I, I read you this quote because it really affected me. It was this, or not this quote, but this kind of thing. There's a document called On the Reciprocity Between Faith and the Sacraments. And it came from uh, it came from the International Theological Commission, and there's a couple priests on there whose names or theologians that I recognize, and I was like, "Oh, I really, really, really trust these guys," and so that's awesome. And he was saying, or the the way the documents laid out, one of the things that they were saying is when you destroy the ability, when you destroy myth, let's just say myth, symbolic representation, the ability of symbols to convey knowledge, when that gets destroyed and replace with empirical or scientific knowledge, what ends up happening is one of two things. You have the modern world, which says a symbol means nothing and communicates nothing. And if it communicates anything, it's just like, oh, yeah, a flag. There's like, it represents America. Got it. You know, and then that's it. Or, um, and then he said, and then you have the post, uh, the post uh, modern, uh, the postmodern people, which don't, they don't see the symbol as, full of knowledge a different type of knowledge they see the symbol as power that produces an emotional response the modernist kicks out the power of the sacrament or the symbol and the postmodernist keeps the power but reduces the cognitive the mental element of it and so you're kind of left with mm. what are the sacraments well there's these things i do that are nice that kind of tell people and we don't even know it but we've adopted a very protestant view of the sacraments which is yep. yes i have faith in jesus and i gave my heart to christ and i cried and i did all this stuff and then you know uh yeah so i went to rcia and i got baptized and or you know i went back to church and you know i go to mass and all this stuff but i got this bible study and i i was like why the heck is it like this why are we sacramentalized but not evangelized and that's the whole point of this huge document and i thought it was so fascinating and there's some more stuff but i've talked long enough and when we and you talked, you had a lot to say, wink, wink. I know, I know. I'm sorry. I'm a little tired. I know. No, I'm trying to. <laughs> well, and I, I think you're um, – well, you were putting it in a different context as well. I know. Um, so when me and you talked about it last time, I said – What did I say? Uh, for, <laughs> for me, the two linchpins for this whole thing was – First, you had made the comment in our five topics uh, end of the year thing about um, how uh, – what's his name? Steven Spielberg in Jurassic Park could have been a better movie in a different director's hands because Spielberg, even though he had commanding material that gives you a lot to chew on intellectually, he will tend to make the pass to the emotional impact. Yes. And yep. in this document, it's like, yeah, that's what the postmodernist does. They love that's narrative. Right. They love that's story. Right. They that's love right. the way that's the story. Right. But yeah. they don't care for the intellectual content. They care for the emotional impact. Jules, in fact, 
Yeah, and even if you like, I think I mean, how often do people take a look at you know older symbols and take the time to break down what they're actually what they actually mean? Yeah, you know, like how often do we take a look at you know a crest, a or whatever? Because it, it it all means something. Right, it's all trying to tell you a thing about either this you know this organization, this group, this thought, like this, or this um, a system of a belief or something, or this you know whatever. Um, an idea this, you know, that these people's identity of what's important to them, uh, and we have no real context for it at all. Yeah. yeah. Like, I, I just – I don't think we even think to take the time to look at it. Yeah. And so when you talk about the sacraments, you're bound with the notion of here's a symbol, and it has meaning. It's cognitive. It gives you truth, and it's also performative. It does something. Right. And you have to keep both. Right. The the rationalists will say, yeah, there's some truth to it. Right. What what kind of it gathers together. And then the mm-hmm. postmodern will say, yeah, it's performative. It impacts me. It has its punch. But the punch is only emotional. And the idea of this double dimension of it being both cognitive and performative is the reason is the very thing that we lost in the sacraments. So what do we do? We talk about the symbols. Oh, the water symbolizes washing. The blah, blah, blah. And it's like, no. The water is the blood of Christ represented in symbolic form. It is the blood of Jesus Christ washing away your sins, especially original sin, which is the curse of damnation, which is the uncleanness of being outside God's family. And so the water also represents a new birth. This is like you're coming through the womb of your mother. You're being born again. And so, <laughs> oh, and then it was hot in there. Whoa. Uh, <laughs> oh, I had to use a, a nightlight to read. <laughs> they got to have batteries in there. Wow. It is dark, <laughs> moist. But right, so <laughs> the cognitive and performative. And so I was thinking about that as I'm reading this. And I remember I went through Maps of Meaning with Jordan Peterson. So I pulled up one of his YouTube videos. And he has a YouTube video on symbolic representation. I was like, I'm going to watch this. Turns out it's a class from 2017 that he gave at the University of Toronto, which is kind of like where he started becoming famous, but not all the negative backlash stuff. And he's talking through what was Maps of Meaning. And I was like, oh, I kind of remember this. And it's fascinating because as he's talking about the symbolic representation, he does it through the lens of mythology, right? So you got Joseph Campbell's Hero with a Thousand Faces. That leads to Star Wars, famously, right? Um, But that's based on... Carl Jung and Jungian psychology and the notion of an archetype, this image that represents and embodies tons and tons and tons of truth. And mm-hmm. it's not just truth. He said, the thing that I think stands out to me the most, he says, myths are not just like the way I was taught a myth. I don't know if you were taught this is the way people who live in a rationalistic world would teach myth. Myth are silly stories to describe powers in the universe that you don't understand in order to kind of deal with them. And that's it. The more scientific we got, the less we needed the myths. Therefore, they all go away. And that's kind of like the atheist view, right? Like the atheist materialist. Yeah. Like, no, no, there's yeah. no sun god. It's not Amun Ra. It's not Apollo. It's just a star that's yellow and dimmer than a lot of other stars. So we don't burn up while we orbit it, right? And you have these things and that. It's just whirling bits of matter and that's it. And if you say and that's it then the symbolic representation can't actually communicate a whole different level. And I thought this, this thing was so fascinating the way he resembled it or the way he kind of talked about it 
where he said, imagine you're a senior in high school and you get the uh, a letter from the school you want to go to, your number one choice. You know, in a strict materialist sense, that envelope is ink on a page of a certain size and weight and font and blah, blah, blah. But to you, holding that acceptance or rejection letter, you feel like the meaning behind the words is your entire future. And maybe in a certain sense, your entire past built up to this moment. Did I get into Harvard or not? Or as all of our listeners say, of course I got into Franciscan University as my backup choice. So you sit there and you struggle with this. And to open the letter, and you're paralyzed. You're holding it in your hand. You open the letter. I remember when I got my packet from Franciscan, I was like, oh, crap. I didn't even take an SAT or ACT. Why would they accept me? And then I ripped it open, and all that stress melted away and was replaced by sheer joy. And he's talking about, like, I'm going to meet Luke in three weeks. <laughs> yeah, actually, it was about six weeks. I knew that I was going to college because I applied a little late. Um, everything I did is wrong. Oh, no, I don't have ADHD. I don't put things off irrationally for a prolonged period of time and then all of a sudden do it all in one rushed, last-minute beg you for an extension I, <laughs> deadline. I didn't just say, I mean, I'm going to get my GED to go in this minute because I didn't want to take the time to actually complete high school. Uh, high school's overrated. G E D, <laughs> good enough. Damn it. Um, but think about he. So he and then he said, which one's more real, the scientific explanation or the explanation of symbolic meaning? And I was like, whoa, 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 what does that mean? He said, you know, the scientific explanation might describe what the envelope is, right? The ink on the page and all that stuff. But is that more real or less real than I'm holding my past and my future in my hands? He was like, that's the thing that people, and he always brings up Sam Harris, a famous atheist, and rejects a lot of this stuff. Um, and he's like, no, you th- when you throw out religion, you don't know what you're getting rid of. Yeah, You're getting rid of a whole universe of meaning that is embodied meaning. And that's the thing that I never really understood. Myths are actions that have been embodied in stories. So it's not enough to say um, the Ten Commandments, right? A list of rules and of, do, of, of mostly negations, right? Don't do this, don't do that, right? That had to come later. What came first were the stories, right? What came first were the actions. And when you look at it from an evolutionary perspective, these are the sum total of actions that go back for millennia upon millennia for our race, right? And these are systems that get built into us of how to deal with and map the world. And he said something that then connects with Alistair McIntyre. There is no such thing as a fact without a narrative, right? If I say, you know, you you see me hammering a nail next door and you're my neighbor and you say, what are you doing? I say, I am taking this uh, blunt object and striking this spiky object into this piece of wood. Well, you'd be like, yeah, you just described to me what I saw. What are you doing? I don't I don't have anything new. I knew you were doing that. That's interesting. He said, yeah. no, oh, oh, I'm building an office because I'm a scholar and I want a, a, a study that I can focus on when I'm, my kids are at home and blah, blah, blah. That was an example in After Virtue. And he talks about this narrative unity. And you have this narrative that you have of the world, you know, of events and all this stuff and how does it fit and not fit. And he's like, and we don't even think about it, but there are these narratives everywhere. And the postmodernist says, yeah, but there's no meta narrative. They're all equal. And he's like, but that's not what morality is. Morality is like a war of narratives where the actual best narrative is not just the strongest, the most violent. Mm. It's actually the best for us. 
the best narrative comes out. And then when we reflect on it, we can say, thou shalt not murder, right? And he's like, you take for granted the fact that literally it took us, we have a brain that is essentially 3 billion years in the making. And you're just like, yeah, whatever. I'm smart and scientific. I don't need all this stuff. And he's like, it's embodied action. And then I'm reading in this Catholic document describing sacramental symbolism, not as embodied action, but cognitive and performative, which is basically the same thing. And you begin to see that we have lost our appreciation or maybe even our ability to have this symbolic representation in certain ways or we if we haven't lost it we just reduce it to the emotional yeah yeah and i i I do think that it's um kevin heiner i'm going to steal the thing from the conversation we had last last week all right so now that that's out of the way um have you seen big fish uh, no, I haven't. I've been wanting to for years, literally, and okay. I just never pulled the trigger. So in college, I went through a phase at the tail end. You, you, you had actually already left, where I, I really got into like Tim Burton and especially the movie Big Fish. Now it's probably like an, on the scale, it's probably like a B a B plus movie, but a really cool B plus movie. So the basic story of it is there's this guy he is this young dude he's relatively young like of late 20s early 30s his dad is dying he takes his girlfriend home to meet his dad and his family and he says like i have some issues with my dad and she goes like why and well his answer saying his dad is a salesman and his dad tells all of these stories and so you're hearing so his dad the dad tells the girlfriend i think all of these all of these and you see and you see these some of the stories being, uh, being like played out, and they seem very whimsical. And like, of course, this isn't untrue. And and like, why it makes the son so angry is he? You know, tells his girlfriend who thinks it's just great. He says, "You don't understand. This is all I know about my dad. I don't know anything about the real him," and it drives him crazy. So the point where he actually like gets in arguments with his dad about it. And at the end of at the you know end of the movie, he's kind of come to a point where he's you know it seems like he's almost going into like unbelief and just you know like not see his dad again because his dad because his dad is dying, and the town doctor stops by and goes, you know I remember the day that you were born, your dad was you know your dad had to go on some on some like stupid uh, he had to come back from. He had to come back from like a sales trip out in like blank up Kansas, and he goes, and he kind of stops and goes, "I always like the other, the other, the other like story better." And so, and the dad then dies, and they, uh, and then while while he's while he is at the funeral, he sees all the characters from his dad's from his dad's like stories, and I think he's finally able to see that those mm. that like your, the dad just like to tell stories, and these stories conveyed the truth of the dad's life, even though the facts weren't you know weren't exactly right. And it's when he like one of the lines he says, this is where like what you said really, really. Really like, reminded me of this film where he like um, tells his dad, "I don't know anything about you," and his dad's like, "You know everything about me." <laughs> and it's not until his dad dies, wow, and he sees these characters that he goes, "Oh, like," and I, I think, and it's kind of implied that like 
perhaps like some of the characters were actually like more real than you may have thought it was in in in, in the story, which I think is kind of true. But it's also really just being like I think he's able to see the people in his dad's life for the characters that they were in his stories. Yeah, and I I'm like it's just kind of like this is what we're getting at here is that I think. The problem when you live in a world filled with facts, which sounds cr- – I don't mean I'm, I'm lies. I mean I, I'm not saying that like I'm lies are better. Yeah. I just mean when it's just – you know, um, when it's just um, logic or, you know, um, whatever, it gets boring. Yeah. It's really, really boring and it's dull and it's like dull of meaning. And I think this is why we want things that are more – Emotional because it helps us feel a little bit alive. Um, okay, so you've been missing this, but this thing going that's like uh, going viral right now, and I wish I could. It's like called the um, a shanty thing or something, and it's incredible. And it's this um, TikTok um, video of these like of of these like um, five guys, and they're I'm um, singing this old Irish song about the sea or something, and it is beautiful. And people are adding their own parts to it because they're able to do that with uh, do that with TikTok somehow. I don't, I don't really get it. Right. But I'm incredibly, I'm like, wow, what a beautiful old song to hear it sung this way. And these are songs that people used to sing in bars and homes and all. It was never a pop radio song. It's a song that's meant to have five people. I'm singing, I'm uh, singing together in a certain way, and there are certain parts to it. And I'm like, we are missing this. Yeah. Like there's something in the sheer beauty of this, and in and in what the song is um, conveying, but like in the beauty of these parts coming together, that they create this thing that um, is incredible. And it, um, I actually heard a talk way back when about how like this is real evangelization. When you look at how like songs work and stuff, and how like it creates a thing. Like this is why I started to like more more um, enthusiastically when I was at mass. I would sing the songs because you're actually like I'm sacramentalizing your prayer. You're making it yeah out in the world. Yeah, yeah like you yeah you're making it in, like this is why the church is so Marian because we are making our our faith incarnate. Mm-hmm. And it I think when we start to view the world that way. That changes everything. Mm-hmm. You know, I think, like, we've, we've talked about this, I mean, we, gosh, from way back when, but, like, I really do believe we need to start to, we talked about this with um, Father Harrison, like, like we should arrange our um, tables and stuff, for, and, like, the way we want to have our houses and, and, like, apartments should be conducted in a way that brings about and is what we want in our lives. Yeah. Yeah, and the cool thing about the approach that we take when we talk about the symbolic representation is we hit on it, and it hits deep when we hit it correctly, right? So there's a point where you're reading Harry Potter, and it hits you, even though they're children's stories, adults are reading them and crying over them and coming up with theories and falling in love with the characters. And each of the characters have this – they represent things. And she draws on mythology and alchemy and, like, all of these things so masterfully because it's like you're tapping into the subconscious. You're tapping into these symbols. So, And to me, I do think the the – 
second one, Chamber of Secrets, in in a certain way, is one of the best in the way it does. It's, it's not a super long film. I mean, I, I, who cares about the length? But the plot moves very very fluidly you don't ever feel bogged down in anything you're getting to know each of the characters and you're discovering that the hero of the film is tied intimately to the villain of the film the ultimate overriding shadow that's cast over everything and then from the depths a killer emerges that only the hero can hear because there's a part of the villain in the hero right only the bascal or the only harry can hear the whispering of the bascal is going to kill and it's mm-hmm. deep and it's intense, and the only way to find it is to go is to just bravely march into the darkest place and go kill the damn thing with a sword, right? Full Saint George, like killing the dragon to save the virgin, right? He goes to save uh what's her name? What is her name? Ginny, right? He th- that's what he's doing. He's doing the thing, right? He's doing the absolute most heroic thing that we have told this story five trillion times. Right, and what does he do? He frees Hogwarts from the tyranny of, of uh, you know the the Slytherin basilisk and all of this stuff and all the violence. I mean, and Slytherin's basilisk. Let's be specific. Yes, that's what I meant. Slytherin's not 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 the, the not the household. I mean the the house, not the household. That's not. It's a, okay, nerds. Don't worry. Calm yeah, down. We got it. We got it. But we get the, it. you're very pasty. <laughs> the. So there's this fundamental breakdown. So I'm watching this Jordan Peterson lecture. It's a Saturday morning. Exodus 90 hasn't started. So I'm taking some notes, and I'm, like, <laughs> trying to read this stuff or listen to this stuff. And Jordan Peterson, it's a two-and-a-half-hour-long presentation in a classroom. I was like, dear God, this better be a night class. And Noah walks in, my son, and he's talking about uh, Peter Pan. And I had just gone through this Peter Pan thing. I was like, wow, that is super fascinating. Because I, and I had heard him say about Frozen that Frozen's a trash movie because it – it violate it might be like decent to watch but it violates all the archetypes and flips them around think trying to be clever but actually it hollows itself out but he said the earliest disney movies actually have that power and he's like like peter pan and pinocchio or like his two favorite so he's breaking down peter pan he says think about peter pan as a movie pan what is pan pan means everything right pantheism right god is everything So Peter Pan is a young boy. He represents the potentiality of youth. So he's a young boy. Peter Pan. And where is he? He doesn't exist in the real world. He exists in Never Never Land. Right? Like this fictional place where young people get to stay young. You don't have to worry about adults. And then he goes, and look at the father. Who's the father figure to Peter Pan? It's Captain Hook. What what is Captain Hook? Is he a wise and benevolent king who provides security and safety? No. He's the tyrant. Who tries to stultify, right, and conquer and consume? What is what is uh, you know? By time. Yeah, and not just time. He's terrified by a crocodile who he knows one day will finish the job yeah. that he started time with his hand, death. and yeah. in his stomach is a clock that is always ticking. And so you start to think he's like, what a perfect symbol of death. It's not just one day I will lay down in the grass with my fathers. Right? It is. It is a vicious sea monster that'll come up out of the depths and destroy me. And, oh, the clock is ticking. It'll happen any moment now. Right? So you look at Peter Pan, and then he goes and he finds Wendy and the other two boys that no one ever cares about or remembers their names. And they go to Never Never Land. And what do they say? I want to get this. John and. Paul. John Paul. John Paul the Great. Go. Yeah. (laughs) But he said this thing that I thought was so fascinating. He says he has a choice to make to go with Wendy or stay in Never Never Land. And Wendy leaves because Wendy's at the upper end of the, of the age, and she wants to become something real. 
But to become something real, you have to leave the play world of Never Neverland. You have to deny the infinite potentialities of youth and decide on something real to become. So she gets married and she has kids. And Pan, what is he? He's king, but he's king of the Lost Boys. He's like, you might as well say you're king of the damned. What good is that to be the chief of the losers? That's what you become. And he's like, so in one way, he's a hero, but in another way, he's not at all. And he's like, and the story is being told. He has to give up. He said, there's the beautiful, perfect woman that's in love with him, but she's a fairy. She's not real. She's a Tinkerbell. And here is this woman who absolutely is head over heels in love with him, but she's not real. But here's a real woman. And he has to, he said, but she's got sass, (laughs) but she's got sass and a miniskirt. Uh, and she's a tinkerer, and her name is Belle. That's where you get Tinkerbell, because she belongs to a class of workers that do stuff with their hands. Oh, God, Disney, why did you give me backstory? Um, <laughs> <laughs> I just thought it was because of her 1950s hips. I could be wrong. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no kidding. Hello. Wait, was, were, were, were we the ones that were, that were making jokes the one time about the, like, emo on Tinkerbell girl? The you yes. know fairy or was that the, yes yeah. yes that was the, yeah. it was where the winter was going to take over the whole of <laughs> yeah, fairyland right. and it was very dangerous well, and they'd save the day in the end I but he ask, has like, to he wait, let me just say this one thing he says he sure, has sorry, to kill on. her he ha- you have to kill the fantasy in order to have something real but there's a death there and he said this is where religious language can only answer it it's called sacrifice but if it's a pure offering the gods or God will accept it. And so that's why almost every ritual of young men or young boys becoming men has to do with this notion of death. And it's not just death. It's sacrifice to the gods of the forest or the Puma God goddess who consumes you, which is Cardinal Sarah's um, tribe in Africa. Like there's all these death rituals around um, – uh, around uh, uh, like the bar mitzvah, right? Of the boy becoming the man. And it's fascinating that we don't understand that. We're not tapping into that symbolic meaning. And he said, so the Peter Pan character can't kill uh, Tinkerbell for the sake of Wendy. He's like, how many young men can't kill the fantasy for the sake of actually risking something with some real woman? Even if she's not perfect, she's at least real. And that's better than a, a absolutely perfect fantasy. And he said, that's where people are have this failure to launch yeah. because it's a sacrifice. I think this is one of the reasons why people like Balthasar really matter. Yes. Because he can combine this thing of um, the experience of it with the facts of – with like – The content. The facts about it. Yeah. Yes. Like, yeah, yes. Yeah. And I tr- – like, it's, it's really interesting. Like, as I've started to go down this road and started to think about – um, all of this stuff, I have started to find more things in the world very boring. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And how just <laughs> like, oh my gosh, like perhaps all the stuff I thought was really important, like, like I was, I'm talking to to my, like to um uh like one buddy the other day he was talking about how he was out behind his house and he had to cut up firewood down and how just so great it was to like h- how much of our life is actually outsourced. <laughs> and to take responsibility yeah. for part of our lives that just, you know, and to like not outsource it and say, I'm responsible for this thing right, right here. And that wood that you cut becomes the thing that like helps it. It, it is, it is once a, almost a symbol of you taking care of your family 
and of you be able to like be partaking in like you are per, you are participating in creation by working with the concrete world in a way to like do a thing that both like that takes care of your family that that provides you with heat and warmth yeah and so it's and i'm like how much more interesting is that than um being like you know corporate synergy you know or like you know and it's, and it's not that that stuff like it's not that stuff isn't important but like we have but we have made work and these things to be the height or one of the most important things that we do we've made these things to become the like end all and the be all when it's like this is at the service of something it should like not the status not the thing that like like not the thing that determines our worth or creates our um our status it's really it's really disordered yeah and I, I, I'm not trying to say that, like, like, I think we should all, like, I'm going to move to a farm. I'm just saying I think we should be kind of more directly involved in what we – in what's important to us and how we want to ex- – how, like, what's important to us, how do we experience it, and how do we express it? Mm. It, re- I think it really, really it, – it matters way more than I've ever started to, like, really stop and think about. Like, it really matters. Yeah. I wonder if this is one of those things that, like, if you, like, does your life take on more meaning when you start to do this stuff? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if we came up, right, if you think of all of human history until 150 years ago with the Industrial Revolution and the Enlightenment, most people, most of the time, made their living through seasons and through manual labor. Right, ninety-six percent of the world was agrarian, so our lives and Mother Nature were intimately locked into a cycle. And the more we've interjected technology between us and nature, the more we have experienced, uh, I think, alienation from the world. I don't think farmers, I mean, maybe modern farmers do, because there's a little bit layer, there's multiple layers of technology between them now, but. Many ancient farmers did not find a disconnect with the world, just like ancient sailors sang sea shanty songs, right? The sea, they were in love with the sea, right? Even though the sea beat them and <laughs> beat them down and all this stuff, there was this reciprocity between nature and grace. Let me, let me just put it that way. Between daily human life and the powers of nature, and we were a part of it even when it crushed us. It was still. But now there's this alienation that I mean, Karl Marx talks about this. The alienation of man from his labor is kind of what the Industrial Revolution gave us. But I think there's an ever greater alienation from us from nature and thus meaning bound up with doing things in nature. So I sit in front of a keyboard and I read an angry email from my boss or from, you know, so-and-so, and I get the same physiological reaction that I do when, con- when my ancestors were confronted by a bear in the woods. But there was a finite thing. There was a physical bear in front of them. They either lived and ran away or they killed the bear or something happened and it ended. But for us, it's like, shit, that, that's still sitting in my inbox. So as Catholics, what's our response to this then? Well, okay. So the big the, – the first thing I think, right, is to acknowledge that – and we have to like really, really try our best to accept the fact that the scientific technocratic 
view doesn't explain everything. Yeah. So the way I see it as best I can, and I'm looking at, uh, at these, um, at the document is we really, really, really have to re understand creation because if the logo spoke the creation into existence, then this dual dimensionality exists in the world. But if he didn't, then it doesn't. And we're just material, right? That's the biggest thing that I can think of. So doing things that I think, okay, so here's an example. This guy kills an elk for the first time. They tracked it. Joe Rogan tells the story. We tracked the first elk, you know, for 14 miles before we killed it. We killed it with a bow. It immediately dropped. It didn't know we were there. There was no stress, no fear. The thing just dropped dead. He's like, it was the, and he goes, and I walked over to him. As I'm walking to the dead elk up in the mountains, middle of nowhere, Montana, he said, I had a profound religious experience of gratitude. He said, it's the only word that you can use to describe what just happened. This dead animal is going to feed my family for literally a year. He said, every time I eat a, a, a steak cut from this animal, I'll think about that day. I'll think about what it took, you know, two days without eating, tracking, all this stuff. And he said, I have an intimate connection with the life that I took that I'm grateful for. Now I go to a steakhouse. All I'm thinking is of the, is the aesthetic pleasure, right? You cut the steak. You, oh, this is cooked perfect. Thanks. Oh, yeah, not too much salt. This is great. Love it, right? You eat it. Oh, my God, this is perfect. dry age thing. Oh, amazing. He said, but there's no story there. I just rate it on whether or not it tastes good, and that's it. And the other guy that he was talking to had just killed his first elk, and he was like, he was like I am not a religious person. But I can't use any other words to describe this. I think as Catholics, that's what we're trying to get to. And the, the whole point of the document is to realize that faith in Christ and the sacraments are not really – they are different in one respect, that, but they, they're such – there's a spiral of mutually amplifying things that – like you get the Eucharist. This Jesus that I have given my entire life to, I can now eat. What does that say about the condescension of God to humanity, right? And I think that's, I, I, as far as I know, getting back to nature in some sort of real way and really embracing the sacraments in some sort of real way is the only way. The, the symbolism of, of the sacrament, like trying to realize that it's, it is reality. It, it's, I, I, it's weird because I think we, when we think when um, – when we think of symbols, sorry, I, I, yeah. I think I think we mistake them as symbols for symbolism. Yeah, and so we take this thing like baptism and go, oh, isn't it cute that I'm now part of the Catholic Church and this is how we decided to do it? Isn't that fun? Yeah. Tihi, here's a prayer book, and instead of like, well, no, it's actually no, you really are. Like, this really has transformed you, and now you could have gone to hell if you had not had this. Mm -hmm. And now there's, you know, there is, oh, my, you're forgetting this, of sins and all this other stuff. But it gives a sense of urgency of, like, we, yes, we trust in God's infinite love and mercy as it relates to, like, the death of babies and blah, 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 blah. But it doesn't mean that it's just important either. This actually is really, really important. And especially as they get older and stuff, like, like, do we need to understand, do we need to really understand how important baptism actually is and give it a sense of urgency to it? Because that will create a missionary spirit. 
Yeah. So I guess what I'm wondering is like, should baptism actually be more part of the evangelization, not process, but like our mindset about it? Mm. Should there be a thing when like if you're evangelizing a person and they're coming back back into the back into the church that we like there is a renewal of baptismal of the baptismal and promises there and it's actually a part of this it's a big deal or should it should we do something where if they do need to be baptized it's like um like real like how do we make it more important and not and I, I I don't yeah. I'm, I'm not trying to say that the preparation isn't important, but there's more to it than just like sitting in a class and go, oh, well, now I get it. Yeah. Like, yeah. thanks for the intellectual information, but there are, you know, three other areas here that I'm completely neglecting yeah. with this. Yeah. I think it would be very interesting to run a youth group using symbols. Okay. Like the Hitler youth? <laughs> yeah, because yeah, no. that's what they did. Holy crap, did they do that? All right. Well, on that note, thank you everyone for listening. I'm so tired. Oh, poor little baby. I know. <laughs>